there, I'm Michelle Bunch, and this is Enthusiasm Diaries. Enthusiasm is contagious, and in this podcast, we get to share in the enthusiasm of others and perhaps spark some of our own curiosity along the way. Thanks so much for listening. So I am here today with Tila Nunn Miller. She is an administrative law judge out of the state of California, and we got connected through a lovely mutual friend. I'm sure she's listening and you know who you are. Um, But I, and I just want to say there's nothing better than friends of friends and then becoming friends with your friends' friends. So I'm just so happy to be here with you today, Tila. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, so you're an administrative law judge. And I, I, when we first talked, I wasn't sure exactly, you know, I wasn't sure of the levels of judge. I wasn't sure how you got there. So can you maybe briefly just kind of share, how does someone even begin to become an administrative law judge? Where do you start? Yeah. Yeah. So there's all types of judges from administrative law judges all the way up to, right, the Supreme Court justices like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and and is in that between, her behind you? Yeah, that yourself? is her behind me. Uh, she so helps nice. me administer justice. Um, And so in between the two of those are state judges and federal judges and um, administrative law judges are basically judges that specialize in a particular area. So there can be administrative law judges for special education like hearings, right, where parents are trying to challenge maybe an IEP for their child who has special education needs. There can be an ALJ. That's the um, term we use for administrative law judge for unemployment benefits, for doctor's licenses, for disability benefits, for um, utilities, public utilities. Um, There's and then public benefits such as food stamps, Medicaid, and then cash aid benefits uh, for families with children, which is, you know, formally what people think of as welfare benefits for families. And so I'm an administrative law judge over essentially those types of social service programs. And do you feel like out of all the types of ALJs that you named, that's the that's the sweet spot for you? That would be your your top choice? Yeah, definitely. So just, to speak. Yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, social services programs are very interesting. You know, like I wouldn't be interested in doing public utilities or even unemployment <laughs> benefits, I think could, you know, just get a little bit dry. It's kind of the same case over and over again, whereas our cases, right. you know, they can vary from, you know, all types of issues. Yeah, I love that. So clearly you're in you're in the right spot, right? Yeah, yeah. The ALJ. So, um, so are there, I guess it sounds like that's the part that interests you. It's like, how, how do people get benefits? Should they keep benefits? And it sounds like also just knowing that it's a great help to people. I'm imagining, I'd of course love to hear more, but, um, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about your background and growing up and maybe yeah. how some of that may have started for you, which may led to where you, may have led to where you are today? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So my path was I started my undergrad at UC Santa Cruz back in 2002. And I went to at, at UC Santa Cruz, they basically have like separate colleges on the campus. So you live in a particular dorm on at your 
your college on that campus. And so I picked this college called College 10 and their theme was social justice and community, which I was like, oh, that's so cool. But the real reason I wanted to go there is because it was a brand new college. So that meant no one slept in the dorm bed yet. And that really (laughs) intrigued me. (laughs) And I said, I got to live there. And then it was just an added benefit that the theme was social justice and community. Um, so, so like I, social justice, community, and clean mattresses. Exactly. Sort of yeah. I mean, that that should have really been the name of the college. <laughs> um, and so there I started, you know, reading books by, you know, Howard Zinn and Bell Hooks, like things I had just never read before. And that really opened my eyes to, you know, racial justice and oppression mm-hmm. and poverty and, you know, white flight and all these things that I just really never kind of dived into before. Um, And so then once I graduated from there, I moved to San Francisco for a year. And basically, I knew that, um, you know, I wanted to go to some type of grad school or some type of professional school. And I just didn't quite know what I wanted to do. But I was thinking either a master's in public policy or I was thinking probably law school because I had majored in politics and I knew I wasn't trying to, you know, go be a politician, but I didn't yeah. know, oh, what are you going to do with a BA in politics? So I decided to study for the LSAT um, while I was basically an administrative assistant in San Francisco. And um, that was basically for therapists who were helping clients with substance abuse and mental health issues. And so basically I was just their, you know, their admin assistant for a year. And then I was studying for the LSAT, which is the exam you take to get into law school. And how hard is that? It sounds hard. Um, it was really hard. I even took a class and um, I did. I definitely didn't score high at all, but I was like, I'm not taking that again and I'll just go to the law school that I get into. Um, yeah. And so I ended up getting into this law school in San Diego. And so I moved to San Diego in 2007 and started um, law school, which is typically a three-year pro- program. Right. And, um, and then there I was able to do internships each summer. So my first summer, I did a summer internship, uh, for the San Diego volunteer lawyer program, and I did it in their HIV AIDS legal project. And so there I was just helping clients who were with HIV AIDS, any type of legal problem they had, they would basically help them. And so I got to learn like basically all kinds of legal issues and then just help people. And so that was really great. And then my second summer, I worked for um, like an elder law uh, project, another nonprofit. And so there I was helping elderly people with all kinds of issues, you know, helping draft wills and durable powers of attorney for them. And so that was really rewarding. I I always have, I have a soft spot for old people or elderly people, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm always trying to adopt a grandma. Um, And so that was super fun. And then the next year I was like, all right, you know, I've done the nonprofit thing. Let me just make sure that, you know, I haven't like closed the door on doing some type of like business law or something like that. Like, let me make sure. Yeah. And so I um, got a clinical internship at an insurance defense firm and did that for a semester and got credit for it. And it just, it, it didn't, I didn't know like 
why was I there? Like we were helping like car accident cases and slip and falls. And I was just like, this is not my cup of tea. Didn't do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I felt like I was mostly just pushing papers around and I never actually like got to see a client, you know, you like, you lose that human connection. And to me, that's like, that's what I like is like being around people. Yeah. The human connection. And it sounds like, so it sounds like this, yeah, there's a legal stuff, but it's like, how can, how can legal affairs, how can legal practices and things like that help people? Is that kind of what you figured out? Yeah. Was the sweet spot for you? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, closed the door on insurance defense and no offense to my insurance defense friends. They're very happy people (laughs) and they're doing important work. Um, So I just do want to say that. Um, But then basically I graduated in 2010. And at that time, that was when basically the market had no legal jobs here in San Diego. And it was just saturated with lawyers because it basically everyone went to law school when I did. And so that was a really tough time. And I basically just got whatever job I could. So I ended up just working for a small little civil law firm here in San Diego, you know, not getting paid much and basically just trying to learn and kind of scoot by until basically like that real job came along. And so that took a couple of years. (laughs) Yeah, the big girl job. Exactly. And so uh, luckily in 2012, um, I ended up applying for an attorney, a staff attorney job at the legal aid here in San Diego. Um, And I got that job and it was basically a staff attorney for the public benefits team. And so that's where I started learning about food stamps and um, cash aid benefits of various kinds for people. And I was like, oh my God, this is the perfect job for me. Like to me, it was like sort of like being a you being an attorney, but really getting to almost be like the social worker, which to me, that was more my personality. Like, I've never been someone who's like, let's get in the courtroom and fight this. Like, that's just not my, you you weren't interested in being like a trial, trial lawyer. No, that that makes me very nervous and uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay. Because I think for me, like without knowing too much about, and you're helping me understand, but without knowing too much about there's there's so many different types of lawyers, but I think I have this image in my mind that a lawyer equals a trial lawyer. And mm-hmm. of course, that's not the only thing, but it sounds like y- you knew from the get-go that wasn't that yeah. wasn't what you wanted to no, do. No, I was and, like, and, keep me out of the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, anything but the courtroom, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so um, there I basically um, was a staff attorney and I would go to these administrative hearings before administrative law judges representing my own clients about, you know, if their benefits had been taken away or maybe they had been overpaid benefits and it was the county's fault. So they wanted to try to argue that they shouldn't have to pay the money back. And so that's how I got to basically become familiar with what an administrative law judge even was. And it's not a courtroom setting. It's usually, you know, these hearings are just done in a in a welfare office, essentially. And currently, you know, due to the pandemic, they're basically mostly been done over the phone or over right. video. Um, and so, I, you know, I like that less... A formal setting. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I want to hear more kind of what then the move was to actually get you to where you are now. But I'm just curious, like, if you think back to Tila as a young five-year-old, six-year-old, 10-year-old, are there things from that when you look that far back, like in your childhood that may have laid the foundation for you really being oriented towards social justice, wanting to help people, some of that? Yeah, definitely. So um, basically right after I was born, my mom started coming down with signs of uh, multiple sclerosis, MS at the time. Mm. And, you know, it was back in the 80s. There weren't really a lot of good treatments. And so she went from, you know, walking to becoming wheelchair wheelchair bound uh, fairly quickly. And so I saw that and, you know, it was a lot of like, I felt a lot of shame and like, didn't want to have my friends come over. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I just thought, oh, I, you know, I want to have this normal family. Like, why can't I have the normal family? And so she Mm -hmm. ended up passing away when I was 10. And it it started, you know, I, I, over the years, I started to realize, you know, she was just, um, you know, other, you know, this kind of idea of being other. And I became interested in that idea of, you know, how society sort of others people and how can we help Mm -hmm. this kind of idea of the other uh, to kind of come into society. And so that I think is what really triggered me to always want to be helping people and try to just make people's lives better. Like I've always had Mm -hmm. this feeling like we all do better if we're all doing better. And it seems like a simple idea, but I don't feel like a lot of people have that feeling. It's, it reminds me of that idea. Like it's, so I think that some people think it's that pie and the more people have, the less is left. And it, instead it's like, actually there's plenty (laughs) to go around. Is that kind of what you're saying? There's plenty for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to run out. Like there's ways to just have more for everyone. Right. Right. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure your mom would be proud. I mean, there you you. are helping all these people. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah. thank you. I can see how that was, was, of course, influential. Were there other things? Just curious. I mean, of course, that would that would make sense that that lends you to want to help people and how we view society and how we view people within society. Anything else that comes to mind that may have kind of started you on this path? Just curious. Um, I think just like in high school, uh, me and our mutual friend, you know, we got way into very interested in, you know, learning about civil rights and, you know, just like the history of the U.S. And I think that just got us interested in, you know, really wanting to just like help people. And it's like, Mm -hmm. what else are we doing if we're not helping one another, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that could be in a show in itself, probably, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, so, so kind of getting back to your time frame there. So you were yeah. working in that office as the, it was the staff attorney, you said, for legal aid, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I did that for um, for five years as a staff attorney, and I had a senior attorney over me who was basically mentoring me and basically got me to, you know, grow up. Like, I was very, you know, meek and timid. You know, when I went to hearing, I just wanted to, like, say what I had to say and get out of there. And he really brought me out of my shell and, you know, taught mm-hmm. me how to write. You know, I used to give him legal briefs in the beginning where I would just have 
20 arguments in a big paragraph and it would drive him crazy. And so he really taught me about, you know, you got to be clear and concise and like no judge wants to read this and just like make your points and put the law and the facts in and get out of there. And so that really helped me um, to really build my writing. And then, of course, the judges are reading this writing. And so I was building a reputation for myself of, you know, hopefully being like a, a good advocate who, you know, wasn't just going in and, you know, making nonsensical arguments, but really, you know, just trying to be efficient with my time, with the client's time, with the judge's time, with the county's time. Um, and so that was really helpful. (laughs) Like that was just, you know, I, I, he's still, you know, an important person in my life. And so that was really awesome. And then he ended up getting promoted. And so then I applied for his job. And so then I got to be the senior attorney for a couple years And during that time, we, you know, I had some staff attorneys and we'd get summer interns every summer. And so that was like my favorite part was just getting this, you know, summer legal intern who's probably just done their first year of law school and they don't know anything. And so you just get to teach them all this stuff. And I would just treat them like an attorney. You know, they'd get their own caseload, their own clients. Uh, They'd go represent clients at hearing with obviously me there observing them and, you know, passing them notes of say this, you know. Um, And so that was so fun because it's just like you get to see their minds kind of uh, mold and change and get excited about an area of law that, you know, they would never would have known about. Well, and isn't it cool, too, when you become the person that's doing the teaching, like you're like, wow, how did this happen that I'm the one who's like that, how that just worked, we kind of take our turn to, to be the mentor and to teach when for so long, you're just trying to like fake it till you make it and Mm -hmm. all that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, my favorite intern, he was, um, I think it was in 2018. Yeah, because it was right before I became a judge. He, When he started, he was like, I want to be a prosecutor when I graduate. Like, I'm going to, you know, work for the district attorney and prosecute, you know, basically people who commit crimes. And I was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll see. And so by the end of summer, he totally fell in love with the job. And he was like, you know what? I think I want to be a public defender, which is essentially the complete other side of the prosecutor defending, you know, indigent, low-income clients who can't otherwise afford an attorney and, you know, are stuck in jail. And, you know, it's usually these low-level misdemeanor crimes. Um, And so now he's doing that, you know, as an attorney, as the public defender. And it's just cool to see like, oh, wow, like I had an influence over that. And he's helping people on, you know, to me, what I would call the right side of justice. Yeah. And had it not been for that time with you, who knows, right? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So then you said 2018 was when... Yeah, so then um, then? summer of 2018, what happened was I ended up um, running into an administrative law judge basically outside of the the office where the um, hearings are held. And I, uh, this judge was like, hey, you know, we've got these openings. 
uh, you should apply. You would be great. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'll think about it. But, you know, I, I just don't feel quite ready to do that. And he said, well, you know, just just apply. And so, you know, I went, talked to my husband, uh, talked to, you know, some of my friends. And I ended up deciding, you know what, I'm, I'm going to apply. You know, I know I, I kind of had this preconceived notion that a judge is supposed to be kind of this like old wise person. And while I always considered myself an old soul, I mean, you know, like I was in my 30s, I got this, you know, little voice. I was like, I can't, I'm not, not ready exactly for this. An old, old man in their 60s, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for this. But I ended no. up applying um, and I interviewed. I didn't get it the first time just because I, I never interview well on the first time. Um, but then they ended up having an opening just like a few weeks later. And so I applied again, interviewed again. And then of course, you know, was like, oh yeah, you have to shine in an interview. So I always forget that in a first interview, like you have to actually tell them why you're great and they don't just like know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I sold myself and then um, got the job and um, it was definitely hard to leave legal aid, but my uh, superiors were very supportive and were like, you know, you're going to be great. You know, we're so excited, you know, that you'll, you'll be there, you know, helping, you know, people and writing fair decisions for the public. Like, that's great. So it was really hard, though. I mean, like when I left my last day, I just cried the whole weekend. Like, I was like, what did I do? This was such a like, mistake. Was this the right thing? Yeah. Was like, it like because you weren't sure because you were just sad to leave? It was yeah, I think I was just really sad to leave because, I mean, it was just such a amazing group of people, you know. I mean, people yeah. who work for a legal aid are just, you know, they're just diehard social justice warriors. Oh, yeah. So it yeah. was it was definitely hard to leave the group, but um but yeah, I took a week off and then I started the new job as um an administrative law judge for the state. Um, and it was great because it wasn't like this foreign place to me. You know, I'd been to the office before. I had known a lot of the judges just from uh, appearing before them and, you know, kind of chit-chatting along the, the years, you know, when you can kind of squeeze a chit-chat in. Um, and right. so it was great. Everyone was super welcoming. And they were like stoked that I was working there. You know, they knew my work previously. A good feeling. <laughs> so it was a really great feeling. And, um, and so basically, I've been there since December of 2018. Okay. Wow. So what is that? About three and a half years? Am I uh, that right? Two and a half. <laughs> Feels and like half? three yeah. and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what is it? What is a day in a life? What has the last two and a half, almost what feels like three and a half years been like for you? Yeah. So, well, let me explain like how, how does a case even get to me? So yeah. basically, yes, that would be helpful. yeah, what happens is, um, so basically these are state federal and state benefits. And they, they basically the state and feds administer the power down to the county to distribute these benefits. So that in California, we have 58 counties. And so those 58 counties are basically tasked with running these um, benefit programs and administering benefits to 
um, recipients. And so anytime the county basically wants to take a negative action on someone's benefits, they have to provide like them. Some, meaning take some away or, or yeah. reduce them? Is that what take that means? Take some okay. away, reduces them, um, assesses an overpayment of the benefits, then they have, they have to provide an adequate and timely notice of action, which is essentially the idea of, of due process where that comes down from. Um, and so every, right. every person who has these benefits, they have a right to due process. And so the county has to provide them notice before they take away their benefits that basically, you know, explains the reason that they're taking away the benefits, um, you know, the regulations are supporting the action, explains the reasoning. Uh, so basically the claimant will understand they're taking my benefits away because I have too much income and this is the amount of income they're saying I have. Well, on that notice is also their hearing rights so that they can request a hearing uh, typically within 90 days. And then also on the notice is information about their local legal aid office so that if they basically want to get free legal services, they can call their local legal aid and then get, you know, assigned with an advocate, hopefully, who may be able to represent them at a hearing, you know, if if, you know, they decide to do that. Um, and so once the hearing gets scheduled, then basically you get your schedule of hearings and then I'm hearing that case basically or some other judge throughout the state because we're all throughout the state will hear that right. case. Gotcha. So that's how it comes to your, how it comes to you specifically. Yeah. And, and how many of their, how many of you, how many administrative law judges like in the county you serve? Um, so just, we're, we're all statewide. So I hear oh, cases okay. from every county. Um, oh, it wasn't, yeah, okay. it wasn't always like that. Like I, we used to just be assigned kind of like Southern California. Um, right. but then we moved to a statewide model so I could hear a case, you know, up oh. in Northern California or down here in Southern California or in the middle somewhere. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So knowing kind of how those cases come to you, then what, what does like a week look like for you? How, how can you tell yeah. us what, again, what that day in the life looks like? Yeah, definitely. So basically, um, typically I'll have two days a week where I'm just hearing cases. And so I'll be assigned, maybe I'll end up here. You get assigned more than you end up hearing because some people are not going to either show up in person or they're not going to answer the phone. And so that's going to end up being a non-appearance. But for the cases okay. I actually hear, I'll hear like four to eight cases a day. And a hearing will last anywhere from 20 minutes up to two hours. And if it's super complex, I may even have to continue a hearing to another day. Um, but okay. typically the sweet spot is like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so for hearing days, I'm just hearing cases. I, sometimes I can squeeze in writing decisions kind of in, in between hearings if, if it's possible. And I will do that if, if, if I can. Um, and then mm -hmm. the other three days of the week, I'm basically preparing for my hearing days, right? Reviewing um, the county's documents about their actions they have to take because it's the county's burden to prove 
why they took the action. The claimant doesn't have to prove, you know, why the county took the action. So the county's got to, you know, provide documentation about basically what happened and all their evidence as to why they took that action. And if the county... Um, determines, oh, you know what, the action wasn't right, then typically they're going to contact that claimant before the the hearing and try to do a some type of settlement so that it doesn't need to go to a hearing. Um, gotcha. And so then, yeah, so the other three days I'm reviewing my cases, I'm writing decisions for the cases I already heard. Um, and then uh, people will, you know, my colleagues will call me if they, you know, just want to talk out their case or they have a specific question or they might ask, oh, can you review this decision? I'm kind of not sure about the conclusion. And, you know, so I, those are kind of things I'll do, too. Yeah. Some collaboration there. Yeah. It like. Yeah. So, so I know every case is different, right? Every individual situation is different. So I, I don't at all mean to generalize when I ask this, but I've, could you share just a little bit for, especially for people that might not be familiar with things like cash aid benefit, what are some common scenarios you might see or some case examples, perhaps again, recognizing that every situation is unique. Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely a common hearing that we see is an overpayment of benefits. So this will be where the county overpays uh, benefits to the recipient. And it can be either the county's fault, right? There was some type of county administrative error that happened, or it can be the claimant's fault, meaning that the uh, recipient of benefits, they had a duty to report you know, they have duties to report income, changes in their household mm-hmm. size if someone comes into the household. Um, and if they don't report those things when they were required to do so, then that can lead to an overpayment of benefits. And the county, you know, they have ways of, you know, running their own reports and figuring out that there was income that wasn't reported. And so that's probably the most um, common case. And then another common case is a termination of benefits. So this will be where um, the county terminates the food stamps or they terminate the cash aid benefits or the Medicaid health coverage. And um, it's usually due to income limits. So they're saying the household has essentially exceeded the income limits for that household size to still qualify for the program. And a lot of these programs, you know, the the limits are quite low. You know, it's like 130 percent of the federal poverty level, maybe up to 200 percent federal poverty level. Um, And so, it, you know, for for recipients, a lot of these recipients, it's not that they're not working. They're working part time jobs where. Uh, the shifts aren't stable, right? They're, they might get a cancellation on the Tuesday shift. And so their income's mm-hmm. going up and down and up and down. And it can be, you know, difficult to report things or kind of keep track of what they need to report. Um, and so that can end up leading to an um, uh, overpayment or it can lead to like, like I said, a termination of benefits. Mm -hmm. So if they request a hearing before the termination, then the county will actually continue the benefits to the, until the hearing, um, because it's their due process right to have that, but they have to make sure to request the hearing before the action takes place. In order to have that. And is it the kind of thing where 
it doesn't matter if you're one dollar over or a thousand dollars over. It's like that. I've heard yeah. it described like cliff effect kind of. There's definitely know. yeah. Well, you know, if you're one dollar over, um, that's it. But you know, there mm-hmm. there can be arguments to be made if it's fluctuating income that maybe the right. income should be treated differently. Maybe you should be looking at an average of income over you know say a few months as mm-hmm. opposed to just that particular month where you know maybe it was the uh, you know winter holiday they work at a restaurant well you're always going to have extra income in December because that's when restaurants are super busy right right yeah that makes sense um do you think with some of that there's just when you watch the news when you hear people talk about some of this stuff do you think as a whole there's misconceptions about cache do you think there's things that people think about it that or that you hear commonly spoken about in the media that aren't necessarily true from your experience? I don't mean for that to be a loaded question either. I'm just, I think it's confusing. And I think unless people have any experience with that, it's hard to really know. So yeah, what do you say about that? Yeah, there's definitely a few that I can think of. Um, The first one that comes to mind is that um, undocumented individuals are getting cash aid benefits. And the reality is, is that someone who's undocumented cannot qualify for cash aid benefits. It's literally impossible. So that myth should be debunked, doesn't happen. Uh, the second okay. one is that people on these welfare benefits, right, these cash aid benefits are lazy and they don't want to work. And the reality is, is that these are typically families with, you know, two, three children, and they are working, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a week. But the job they have pays minimum wage. It's unstable Mm -hmm. because it, um, you know, it's not full time. And um, so they're typically working a part time to full time job. But at minimum wage in, you know, in a lot of these in California, the state of California, one of the most expensive states in, in the country, you still cannot survive. You are still in poverty if you work 40 hours a week, minimum wage, and you have a family of four. And so they have to get on these benefits in order to survive. Um, And so that's another misconception. And the other thing Mm -hmm. is that people don't want to be on these benefits. Um, If they Mm -hmm. had a choice, they would just have a job with a decent wage working 40 hours a week, and then they wouldn't need to be on the benefits. So, you know, and, you know, I, th- I think people don't think about that and they just think, oh, they, they just want to get everything free and they don't want to work hard. And it's like, no, they are working hard, but the opportunity isn't there. And the other thing is a lot of these recipients are facing all kinds of barriers that, you know, you and I and others just cannot relate to, you know, they have a mental health disability, they have a physical disability, they have a children with disabilities that are, you know, make Mm -hmm. it very difficult to work a normal, regular 40-hour job. There's homelessness, domestic violence, uh, language barriers. You know, it's very difficult Mm -hmm. if you speak a language that's not very common and you're not, you know, you don't speak English, that that can be a huge barrier. Um, And so I think these are just things people don't think about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I hear you. And I I think... 
I, th- I think sometimes it's just putting your, it's that putting yourself in someone else's shoes, right? I think, I think if you haven't had a situation where you just really couldn't work, you're caring for somebody, you're, you're not able to work physically or mentally or emotionally. It's a whole nother situation. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, are there, do you feel like you're someone that is pretty, I mean, of course you make, you make your rulings based on what, how it falls. And of course, making sure it fits with the law, that's obvious and number one. But I mean, I, w- I when I think of judge, I think of someone who makes, has a really um, easy time making decisions, seeing things in a way that's right or wrong, black or white. And I don't know if that's my own misconception about what it means to be a judge, but like, I'll just own, I am someone who can be like I can see all sides of a situation and I don't think I'd be a very good judge. I really don't. Um, are, can you talk a little bit about your personality and, and how much does this come up in your particular way that you make rulings and judgments? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I try to be as fair as possible. Always definitely, you know, whatever the law says, I'm going to, I'm always going to roll with the law, but if there's anywhere where, you know, there's some discretion that's allowed, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, you know, use that discretion appropriately, um, when I can as well. And, you know, mostly I just, I try to take a pretty serious tone. You know, I understand I've got this young voice, so I feel like I got to take a serious tone in the hearing. Um, you know, your hearing, did you call it your hearing voice? <laughs> My hearing when voice. Yes. yes. And I've definitely been accused of, are you old enough to be the judge? <laughs> and, really? uh, oh yeah, definitely. And, okay. you know, I let them know, yeah, you know, I, I went to law school. I have done all the steps, I promise. Um, right. you know, and, uh, usually they're saying it in jest, but, um, you know, I, right. I, I'll make jokes, you know, I, I'm using an excellent skin cream. <laughs> it's keeping me young. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I just try to be serious and I just try to ask all the appropriate questions. A lot of times, you know, in these hearings, it's just the claimant and the county representative. So obviously the county representative, they've been working for the county for a long time. So they're the one who knows all the rules. They're very experienced. Whereas the claimant might just be there all by themselves, no representation. And so I try to keep in mind they may have never been in a hearing before. They don't know what to present when I come to them and say, okay, so what do you have to say for yourself? You know, they're they're scared mm-hmm. usually, you know. And so I try to ask the um you know, relevant questions that essentially are going to elicit a full and fair record, you know, so mm-hmm. that when I go back and write my decision, you know, I have all the facts that I need to, you know, make, you know, the necessary findings of fact. And so then that way I'm able to write a fair decision. You know, I try, I try to keep in mind, there's always going to be one side who's going to be the loser. And I want to make mm. sure that when they get my written decision, they read the decision and they say, I maybe I don't agree with this decision, but I understand why, you know, Judge Nunn Miller wrote the decision mm. this way, you know, and then at least they have peace of mind. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely try to be empathetic, you know, if it's something right. where it's just the law, you know, like if there's a food stamp overpayment. Even if it's the county's fault, there's literally nothing I can do. And so I Mm. try to let them know, you know, hey, my hands are tied, um, but I am empathetic. You know, I 
I'm empathetic to this and I will even maybe put some sort of empathy in the conclusion. But at the end of the day, I'm always going to rule with what the law says. And, you know, because I'm bound to that. Of course. But I I would imagine that your demeanor goes a long way, especially with when you were saying people may not have had experience with the legal system. They're scared. They're nervous, what you were saying. And I think just your approach that sounds to me super respectful, empathetic, kind, that I I would imagine that goes a super long way. Um, And kind of with that, I'm curious, uh, and a little bug went in my ear that you may have gotten a few recognitions and awards. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, let's see. What did I get? So uh, recently my um, work gave me, it was the first time they did it, the Shining Star Award. And basically it was for good judicial demeanor and just going above and beyond, um, mm-hmm. you know, the components of my job, you know. And so I really appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that my colleagues see, you know, that I'm, you know, trying to do a good job and, you know, also trying to help, you know, my colleagues Mm -hmm. as I can, you know, because I understand like I come with expertise that, um, you know, I was lucky, like I came with all this substantive knowledge to this job. And so I like to be able to share that with others. Yeah. So was, so was the award made just for you or were you the first recipient? I was the first recipient in my office. So that like every, like, we're like kind of broken out into regions statewide. And so I was for like the San Diego region and then other judges got it in the other regions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, what a compliment, right? Yeah, no, thank you. And then I was also, um, I was promoted, which I had to interview for like a year ago. So I'm actually an administrative law judge to specialist, but I just call myself an ALJ. And basically that just means like I'm, I have to hear more complex cases. So like they'll basically kind of leveling up. Yeah. Leveling, leveling up. So I'm not getting like the easy ones anymore. And so I'm hearing more complex cases, maybe taking on more cases as needed. Um, And then just like mentoring new judges as new judges come in. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, That's you. You're teaching a little bit too. Are though, because they're more complex cases, do you find for yourself just personally, that's more difficult to make rulings on? Or is it like anything that the more you do it, you get better at it. Again, of course, you're using logic, going by the law, of course. But yeah. um, like how much more complex do they get? And and does that does that pose a challenge to you? Um, yeah, I mean, it just depends. But yeah, they can. Usually it just means they're going to they may take longer to hear the case in hearing or typically okay. it means it's just going to take longer to write because there's more. Um, information that I have to look at. And, you know, a lot of times these are cases where I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at someone's income, but I might be looking at their income for a period of like two years where it's always fluctuating. And then I'm trying to determine, basically we're, we're tasked with like recreating the circumstances to determine what the county should actually use as income that could have been what we call reasonably anticipated to continue. And so it can get pretty like you'll, you know, usually I'm ending, I end up, you know, getting confused for a bit and you're just kind of trying to work (laughs) through this process to a place where you write it and you go, okay, you know what, this makes sense. And hopefully when the claimant gets it, it's also going to make sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I love, I love hearing that. And I, knowing your background, knowing like the bent towards social justice, it sounds like what a great job for you. I mean, does this feel like your sweet spot for the long haul? I mean, is this it? I'm still pinching myself. No, I've, I've, I've told my bosses, um, this is where I'm trying to retire guys. So (laughs) whatever I can do to not screw this up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and maybe you kind of already covered this, but is there, if you could pinpoint what, what makes it that way? What makes it so that every day you're pinching yourself? Yeah. Because what a great feeling because we spend so much time at work and to be somewhere where you're like, this is awesome. And I'm so excited to be here and do this and feel privileged and lucky to get to do this every day. I mean, that's kind of the dream. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I think just, I love hearing people's stories. Like that's what I liked about working at Legal Aid was just like hearing people's stories. And here I still get to hear their stories in hearing, of course, right? Not as a client, but just in hearing and kind of hear what's happening on the ground. Um, It's been important, I think, during the pandemic to hear how families are are dealing with this, uh, having to, you know, lose jobs. Uh, Their kids are now home all the time, which makes it harder to get another job. Um, They're having to become teachers to their children, which, you know, no one ever fathomed. And so it's really interesting to hear all those things and also just hear how resilient people are. I mean, it's just incredible with so little resources, you know, it just blows me away. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. number one. Uh, Number two is my colleagues. I work with an amazing group of humans who all work really hard or empathetic, uh, just have a great work ethic. And also, most importantly, they're really fun to eat lunch with, which I feel like oh, that's is so most important, important right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> like if I want to hang out with you, like that's that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes such a long way. And that's that connection. And if this year's taught us anything, it's the importance of connection right? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just a good group and, you know, my bosses are great and, um, yeah, I, and I, and I just feel like every day, you know, every day at the end of the day, I'm like, oh yeah, that was a fulfilling day. And that's so cool. Mm, That's a, that is an awesome feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I like what I'm doing and I like how I'm spending my time and wow, I love that. Well, so besides, Besides the ALJing, what other things in your life, Tila, light you up, get you excited? Um, well, my uh, stationary exercise bike, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the name. I, I think you can. <laughs> the Peloton <laughs> bike. Um, I believe yeah. you're part of the cult as well. I am. And well, and I will say <laughs> when I started following you on there, every time I saw a check mark that a friend took a class, it was like, Tila, I'm like, how do you, you're do, you're being a judge and you've apparently done every class on here. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, you know, I it got a little rough there for a bit. Um, yeah, I got it about nine months ago and I, you know, had become pretty sedentary. I've never been someone who really exercised on a regular basis. I've always thought of exercise as a punishment. Um, so for me, like I've only had like spurts of exercise throughout my life where it's like, you're trying to get 
get ready for something, but it, you know, at most it would last like three to six months and then I was over it. Um, but you know, it got to a point where I was like, I gotta, like, I gotta do something about this. Like I'm in my, you know, later thirties now, the metabolism slowing down. I eat a cracker and it shows. So I ordered the (laughs) Peloton and it was just life changing. Like the instructors are so great and it's so much fun and it's just right there in the you know living room so it's like you walk by it all the time and it makes you want to get on it are there other other things like pre-discovering the peloton bike or yeah no of course um well i have my husband and my two dogs and they definitely you know i call them the wolf pack now that you know we've survived this whole year together (laughs) Yeah, that's a wolf pack. That's the definition, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So they're, they're wonderful. And then just my, you know, my friendships are very important to me. And I'm all about the connection with, with people. I mean, I, I think that's kind of what comes through at the end of the day. Well, I'm so glad to get to talk to you today. And it's been fun for me, well, one, to kind of reconnect and get to know you on another level, but also it's really fun to hear just a specialty and and what it's like to be this kind of judge. So thanks for sharing it with everyone and all the things that go along with it. And hopefully we can maybe even talk to you again another time. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave a review and share with a friend. And if you're enthusiastic about something and want to share it, please contact me at michelle at enthusiasmdiaries.com.